This episode of Continuing Mission is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Continuing Mission, our look at the ways in which fans are keeping Star Trek alive. I'm your host, Christopher Jones, and the primary focus of this show is on the fan series, or as I prefer to call them, independent productions that tell new stories set in the Star Trek universe. Through Enterprise, we learned a great deal about the events of the 22nd century, but the 100-year gap between the end of Enterprise and the start of the original series remains largely a mystery. A new short film entitled Star Trek Ambush aims to fill in some of those gaps. Ambush will introduce a new ship and a new crew whose existence is well known to the Federation, but something that would be best kept secret. Set just after the events of Balance of Terror, the story focuses on a single away mission to rescue a captured commander and how the Federation ultimately dealt with the Romulans after the incident involving Kirk and the Enterprise. And today, I'm joined by Greg Locke, the producer of Ambush, to learn more about the genesis of the project and what he hopes to accomplish in telling this story. Hello, Greg. Welcome to Continuing Mission. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your afternoon to talk to me today. Yeah, no, no worries. Happy to be here. So this show is all about independent projects, and I know of a lot of them, but recently I was looking around on Kickstarter, and I came across a project called Star Trek Ambush. And I thought, you know, I have not heard of Ambush before. And then I looked at your concept art, and I thought, this looks really cool. This looks very interesting. I need to get Greg here on the show to find out what this is about. Yeah, absolutely. So before we talk about Ambush itself, I really like to find out from people who are making these fan films how you became interested in Star Trek in the first place, because you must have a real passion for Star Trek to take on a project of creating your own film. So have you always been a Star Trek fan? What age did you become interested? I think around five. I was at home once and... um we spotted a um, a video at home, which was of um, The Final Frontier that had literally just been released on VHS. And um, it turned out that was like my parents were inviting some friends over and we were having like a bit of a evening watching the film. And I didn't really know too much about Star Trek at all. I was just baffled by this chap climbing a cliff in the, uh, the beginning sequence. Uh-huh. But I sort of really enjoyed the film and... Um, I just kept watching the VHS. It was stuck in our house and I think my parents got fed up of me uh, running it dry. So they said, oh, we've got some other films, you know, on video. Watch this one. It was Star Trek Four. I think at the end of that one, there was a recording of the um, the cage, the, uh, the pilot episode. Yeah. I sort of just kept watching and then um, every so often I'd spot Star Trek showing up on TV and I just... I guess I kind of really got into it that way. 
So you were about the same age as me then. I think I was around five also. Now, when I was five, it was in the 70s, and so TOS was in reruns. And so my introduction was the original series. But it was about the same for me, and I don't even remember. I I think I just simply came across it on television. I remember I used to sit in my great-grandmother's living room and Mm. watch it on those old TVs that were like pieces of furniture. You know, like the big yep. wooden boxes with the screen on them. Okay, so that's that's pretty cool. And so since then, you've you've consumed pretty much all of Star Trek. I take it. Yep, absolutely. Um, I keep going through it and uh, keep rewatching it. And so, which is your favorite series? Bear with me, because lots of people might turn away. But Enterprise is actually my favorite series. Okay. Um, I love all Star Trek, but I think with Enterprise, it's the show which was broadcast at an age where I was able to relate to what else was going on in the world and how Star Trek's always been famous for paralleling what's been going on in the news and issues and ethics and and like that. And with Enterprise, you know, they were talking about stuff which I was well aware of what was going on. The big example which springs to mind is the whole season three of Enterprise being the Zindi story arc is the metaphor for 9-11. And yeah. I know lots of people, you know, were a bit unsure about, well, should they really be doing that? But I personally thought it was a very brave thing to do. And I admired them for it. And it's, that is my favourite series of Enterprise. But that's just one example of how I felt, you know, they were, I could watch it and go, oh, yes, this is what they're, they're doing. And it's, it's just a lot of my favourite characters are in Enterprise I think Captain Archer is an awesome captain, and I thought they'd done a very good job. I definitely see him believable as someone which Kirk would have admired. Yeah. My favourite character in Enterprise is Malcolm Reed, but mainly because, you know, I'm British and he was the stiff upper Brit character. And it was nice yeah. to see that character, you know, being represented again, especially as his character's a bit gun ho. And it's just a nice change to see the Brits represented like that in Star Trek. So I I kind of really got inspired by that. That's cool. So Enterprise, yeah, I really like Enterprise also. I know a lot of fans aren't crazy about it, but I think they did a really nice job at the series. And and I find too with a lot of fans that it's the series that's on at the time, like you said, where you're the age where you start to connect with the stories and what they're talking about. So for many people, I find it's Voyager because they were the age they were that age when Voyager uh-huh. was airing. And then I don't know too many people where DS9 is that series because it was running at the same time as TNG and Voyager overlapping. Yeah. But for many, many people, TNG is that series. Yeah, I can um, see. Obviously, um, TNG was quite interesting because it, it was the big return to Star Trek. And I know that um, Patrick Stewart often tells the same story, but when he went to LA to start shooting TNG, his agent said, don't even unpack your suitcase. You're, you're just going to go to LA, right. get sun for a couple of weeks and you'll be home. They're never going to re, you know, revamp a, a series from the 60s. But obviously, they were wrong. Well, they were wrong. And I, and I think Patrick Stewart had a lot to do with that too. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if, if they had cast someone else, who knows, because he really was the core, especially in those early seasons of that show. Yeah, it was certainly a um an interesting um choice, but it, it worked really well and 
I personally am a, a big fan of Patrick Stewart and, and all his other works as well. I've I've had the honour of um, going to a Q and A with him at one of the theatres in London to sort of where he, oh, wow. he speaks about his his stage career as well as his TV career. And I was very proud of myself because I did manage to get him to talk about TNG in front of all the hardcore Shakespeare actors who had no idea what he was going on about, but I knew what he was going on about. <laughs> um, but no, he's a he's a he's a lovely guy, and yeah, I definitely think he's he's a firm part of Star Trek, and it's yeah, that's all good. Yeah, very good. Well, let's talk about your project. Let's talk about Star Trek Ambush. Now, this story is set just after the events of Balance of Terror, so season one of TOS. When did you first envision this story, and then how did you take it from that idea to an actual creative project? The original idea of a stimulus for the project was probably about 15 years ago, if I'm honest. I've always sort of had an idea for a crew of a starship which I would like to see, and I'll, I'll get onto the, the specifics of the crew in a bit. But at that age, I kind of wasn't really... I was only about 15, 16, so was probably a bit too young to actually do a project in that. I was studying media and film at uh, college, but again, mm. yeah, didn't really have the resources and back then, you know, I would have needed a whole team of, I would have needed ILM behind me to, you know, sort of see right. my vision. And then um, as the years have gone on, I've, you know, I've graduated from uh, film school. I've got my degree in film production I've also been able to network with lots of friends who have similar skills and other skills. And we're kind of at the stage of our lives now where, thanks to the advances of technology and how accessible stuff like HD cameras have become and how accessible software has become, we're sort of like, oh, actually, we could do this now. You know, we are at the stage mm -hmm. where... So that's when I sort of thought, oh, this crew I came up with, I can actually finally realize that and actually get something out there to show them off and then um in terms of going back to balance of terror uh the romulans have always been my favorite antagonists of star trek i love the whole idea how they are technically vulcans but the emotional vulcans and i kind of enjoyed the idea of seeing a species that's become you know separated into two groups and become so polar opposites of each other they have, in fact, become their own species in their own right. And Balance of Terror has always been one of my favourite episodes. I, I did like the whole format of the, the submarine drama that it was based on. Right. And it was one of those episodes where they never really followed up on it. I mean, the Romulans blatantly violated the treaty and crossed into the neutral zone, blew up the, uh, the outposts, and... It just was never followed up. And I know that back in TOS times, they were more focused on the standalone episodes. They weren't really getting into story arcs. But, you know, the next time you saw the Romulans in the Enterprise incident, you know, there was still no mention of, you know, the Romulan commander was getting quite upset that Kirk crossed the neutral zone. But not once did Kirk say, whoa, wait a minute. A couple of years ago, you had no problem crossing our... Right. And it's just something like... um. And then from my love of Enterprise and seeing the, um, the the foundings of the Federation, I kind of quite like to have seen, well, how would the Federation have dealt with a blatant violation of 
the treaty, you know, how, what would they have done? You know, because they wouldn't have, surely they wouldn't have just let it slip. They would have wanted to do something about it. So that's kind of where the whole idea of following on from Balance of Terror came from, of the opportunity to perhaps explore, well, what did the Fed, what was the Federation's response? You know, we know Kirk was pretty unhappy with the whole thing, but what did the rest of the Starfleet have to say about it? Uh, so that's really where the idea came from. So you're filling a gap in the story, yeah, that you wanted to to know more about. Yeah, uh, it's just you know something I was quite interested in, and yeah, I've thought, oh, there's a, a story which hasn't been told yet. Um, and also, we kind of want to look into well, what were the Romulans' motivations? What were they thinking? Because mm-hmm. surely they didn't just get some navigational error and accidentally stroll into the neutral zone. They must have had a, a motive of some sort. Um, and I know mm-hmm. that there has been some, there's been a graphic novel, uh, Romulans was done where they kind of look into yeah. that a little bit. They kind of explain um, a little, yeah, what that was about. But I sort of, yeah, wanted to, uh, have my own sort of ideas and my own take mm-hmm. on the, the idea as well, but more so on what the Federation were going to do about it. Well, tell me a little more about that story. Of course, without giving too much away, because we don't want to spoil the story here, but can you can you tell us anything about what how you're going to approach that? Well, quite simply, we're saying that uh, when the Romulans did attack the outposts, not only did they attack them, but when they took out the first outpost, uh, Outpost Two, they actually captured their its commander and took him back to into Romulan space. So. The whole film is ultimately a rescue mission of the commander. The Federation have decided to, okay, we're going to go into the neutral zone ourselves and get our commander back. Um, Why they take such a risk for getting this one man is something that we'll, you know, we'll come to in the film. So that way we do get to, we do get to meet the Romulans and we kind of get to hear a little bit about their views and their ideas but yeah, we also get to speak about what the Federation are planning in case it all escalates. Okay, interesting. So that's the, the basic concept of the story, and we don't want to give any more away. So so I won't ask you for any more about that story, because your film is going to be about 20 minutes runtime, correct? So So we don't want to give away anything there. I did want to ask you about some of the props that you're creating and you're going to be using a lot of miniatures here. Yeah. And you talk about the high quality models, but when I look at some of the pictures, it seems that this is more than just ship models where you're going to shoot exteriors. I'm seeing interiors here. What can you tell me about how you're working with models? The models we're using, we are having lots of shuttlecrafts in the models um i've always liked shuttlecrafts and i've designed a few of myself in 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 recent years Mm -hmm. so that's primarily where the models come in and the ship the uss ambush will be seen we do need to we do need to see that of course so that'll be a, a big model the reason we're sort of going back to models is because some of my favorite films particularly of star trek is the older films where they did use models and me and my co-producer, uh, Thomas Avil, who's also a visual effects uh, guru as well, we kind of, we both have a love for models and the old 
Star films, which use models such as the original Star Wars films and Aliens and, of course, Star Trek. And we kind of feel that models have been neglected a little bit and they are, in our opinion, some of the most realistic ways to portray a ship. But they have been neglected in recent years. You know, CG, I'm not discounting CG. I think it's a, a wonderful tool in filmmaking. But it has kind of taken over and um, we just feel that if you actually take a model and shoot it in a contemporary way and use what's available now to enhance a model, you could probably actually get, you know, very outstanding results. So that's something that we're very keen to to push forwards because lots of people, there's, there's films such as like, um, I know it's hated by, I'm going to be very naughty and reference Star Wars, um, but that's all right. ep- episode episode one, there you go, that's, I've covered myself, it's regarded as the worst Star Wars film ever made. Um, but <laughs> episode one, there was lots of episode one where they actually used models and people don't realise, you know, and I have to credit to ILM for that, they did shoot some of those models in a, in a good way and we kind of, you know, that was, we were thinking about it, that's probably one of the last big films which did actually use models and that was you know obviously it wasn't all models they had the pod race and everything was very cg but that was one of the last films to use models so we wanted to go back to that that age of cinema and you know show people that models actually they they are good and uh you know we like to hopefully uh give them a bit of a comeback yeah it's really cool that you're doing that how big are these models? So I'm looking at a picture right now of a shuttlecraft interior. Okay. How big is the actual model that you're building? The interior you're looking at is going to be a, a set, a separate set, um, which will be, okay. um, yeah, it will be built in our, in our studio. For shuttlecraft shots that we've got in our pitch video, we got I think there's two shots of a um, of the Galileo shuttlecraft flying by and one of it landing. That, believe it or not, mm-hmm. is actually a very small model that I've got, which is only about an inch wide. Oh, wow. And that was, that's not what we're using. That was just to um, show that this is what we can do with a tiny model. We're actually going to make a big model. We're talking about, the shuttlecrafts are going to be about a meter large, I'd say. Um, they're going to be quite big, okay. mainly because when lighting them, which is the key to making these models look believable we need plenty of surface space on the the models themselves to actually give an authentic light reflection uh, shadows you know we want to be able to see all that detail so the models are going to be quite large themselves uh, they're going to be shot on a green screen and basically we feel yeah if we light them perfectly they'll look pretty awesome and how are you building them? You're, the, you're building these from scratch. These are not model kits or anything like that. Yeah, I'm building them myself. I've um, built quite a few uh, models in my past. They're going to be made primarily made from plastic. We're using we've got various um, machines that we've got. We've actually got access to a um, a CNC bill machine. So I am going to be drawing lots of the the panels on the on the CAD software on the computer. We then chuck it into the machine and it mills it all out perfectly to the nearest 0.1 millimeter for us so we can get quite a lot and we can really take our time in doing the detail on the computer and then getting it done for real Um, i'm planning to also um, 
utilize 3D printing for some of the very smaller components because that's a, a technology mm-hmm. that is one again becoming quite affordable and quite accessible. So we really want to take advantage of that. The models as well, just like they did in the original Star Trek, are going to be fitted with their own lighting rigs and programmed lights. So it's all going to look quite spot on. Well, wow, it sounds like just the production side of it is going to be a lot of fun for you. Uh, yeah, and um, something that we really quite like about our film is we are kind of going quite old. We're using a lot of old school methods to yeah, portray our story. We're, we're quite keen not to have a green screen set. And again, that's not discounting films which uh, do that because our film has been purposely written so we don't have to have green screen set. You know, green screen sets is just a way of another method of making a film. We're um, sort of exploiting the uh, the old school methods. Um, I myself, um, mm-hmm. when I went to film school, graduated as a production designer. So I have previous experience in designing sets, building sets. And that's something that, you know, we're going to exploit that. And that's kind of why we're going old school. Um, we also went on quite a few months before the uh, for Kickstarter and everything, we went on a big location scout looking for exterior locations, you know, because uh, we're very conscious of the fact that, well, we're, we're based in the UK. We, we don't have the impressive landscapes that America has. Um, but what we found, we were like, oh, wow, actually, this is brilliant. It's different and it looks alien. And we're quite proud, again, to show people, you know, this is what the UK has to offer for locations. And, you know, again, it's all about raising awareness on that as well. So we're very keen to bring back stuff like old school filmmaking, use of miniatures and location shooting. Yeah. And the locations that you have shown so far look look really, really nice. Thank you. Well, let's talk about the design a little bit more. I was very interested to see in the concept art the uniforms, which look a lot like TOS uniforms with the tunics they're wearing, but they're also wearing these jackets on their away mission, which have rank braids like the original series, but they have shoulder stripes like Enterprise. So you're meshing elements of your favorite series, Enterprise, with the series during which the story is set, the original series, Overall, are you staying more true to TOS in your design or are you taking some liberties or is there something else that you're trying to achieve and you're merging them? We we have taken some liberties. Um, the uniform itself, when we first wrote the script um, and realized it was quite a, a covert rescue mission, the first question we were like, we, we asked ourselves was, are we really going to have a crew go to an alien planet to rescue a captured commander deep behind enemy lines and would they realistically be wearing a bright red top a bright blue top (laughs) and a bright yellow top right and we're kind of like you know i love the look of the original series i love the retroness i love the colors i love the fact that because it was one of the first shows to be broadcast in technicolor they really exploited the colors and made it colorful I, i love all that but we're kind of like, you know, our film is set in original series, but we have to be realistic in our uniforms. So that's when straight away I was like, oh, maybe we want an away jacket to uh, 
to put on. And then as I started thinking about it more, because of my love for enterprise, and I was I was also keen to um, to explore the, the hidden era, the, the hundred years behind between enterprise and the original series i'm quite keen to see well, what did that look like i'm very you know something that's interested me a lot so i straight away wanted to uh look in the possibility of designing an in-between costume you know what what did it look like 50 years after enterprise 50 years before tos so that's where it initially came from but then also once our story unfolded and we kind of really got the concrete ideas for what our crew was about and what the story was about we kind of felt that the uniform had to be more practical for the type of work that they were going to be doing for running joke that we've been saying is quite clearly the original series uniforms weren't up for what we're going to be doing because look how many times captain kirk's shirt got ripped right Um, quite clearly you know i know they had other reasons why his shirt was getting ripped all the time (laughs) right we're kind of suggesting well look you know he got in a fisticuffs and his shirt's ripped that's not going to be good for a, a crew who've got to go behind enemy lines if their their shirts are getting ripped so he kind of wanted okay so you want a practical looking uniform which still pays homage to tos and enterprise and the way the um so what we're saying is for uniforms in if we were to sort of able to rewrite the canon the uniforms we've got were introduced half they were the uniforms in the middle of enterprise and tos but because they were designed during a time when peace wasn't as prosperous as it is in the original series, the uniforms did have a bit more of a militaristic look to them. And because of that, they are still used for that kind of work in TOS. Okay, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. It also um, it also comes down to um, is as much as I, I respect what J.J. Abrams has done with the new Star Trek films, my personal opinion is he has gone, they've gone too far in trying to make it look contemporary. I do believe that there is a way to, um, if the original series is dated, I, I get that, you know, it was done almost 50 years ago, but I do believe there's a way to shoot it, light it, and to subtly change and adapt some of it. You can still make it look contemporary and a believable future in this day and age. And, and that's what we're trying to show as well. Great, that, that's very, very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see the live action when you have it done and see how all that uh, comes off. Yeah, it, um, it shan't be uh, long. We've, we've have got, um, so we've wrapped a lot of the exterior stuff. We're now in the stage of getting our sets planned and built. But no, we do have um, some, Im- some images are beginning to emerge on the internet of uh, what the live action's looking like. Oh, excellent. So, um, so, yeah. Well, now, a few live action things that I, I've seen here are some of the casting that you've done. What can you tell us about the casting and also about the creative team, all the people who are working with you behind the scenes on this? Okay, so um, my story is I, I went to film school. I've done a degree in film production. When I was there... Um, in terms of a crew, I was able to make lots of friends and people I can always rely on. Um, it's almost 10 years since we graduated, but they've all gone off and got experience as well. And we all kind of come back. And it's almost like getting the old band back together. 
Um, right. So, so I've been very fortunate to actually know lots of very talented, uh, creative people who've been more than happy just to come back, you know, and say, yeah, of course, you want to make a Star Trek film, Greg? We're in, we'll, we'll help you. Where I was at uh, my film school as well, it was a place called the Arts University of Bournemouth on the south coast of England. And they didn't just do film, they had an acting course and uh, we made lots of friends in the acting course because during our time there, we were getting their services quite a bit you know we needed them for our projects we were doing and again just like my friends from my film class we've kept in contact with loads of our friends from the acting class and the actors themselves again have gone off and got loads of experience they've also networked and um, our uh, makeup artist a very talented lady called Fiona Kane she was um, friends with two of my actresses and uh to you straight away yeah i'll come help you out and we've got lots of pulled in lots of favors and friends of friends that's where a lot of it's come from very good yeah that's what i find with uh, so many people who are doing these films there's such a connection between creatives and so many people are star trek fans as well yeah that you know if you are connected within creative fields and someone finds out that you're going to do a star trek project everyone jumps on board everyone's ready to go yeah, I, I, I've, um, I have found that as well. Um, even when, um, when our Kickstarter went up, I hadn't actually told many of my friends, you know, that mm-hmm. it was happening. I kind of wanted it to be a this massive surprise. Oh my god, what's what's this? Star Trek ambush? <laughs> oh my god, he's yeah. making a Star Trek film. What is he thinking? Um, but no, when I when that went up again, yeah, I had quite a few people, um, people I didn't know, uh, approaching me through the Kickstarter saying, "Oh." you know, I do this, would you like, you know, would you like me to help? And again, friends were saying, oh, um, I really want to contribute something, but I'm quite skint at the moment. However, I've got a friend who does this and I would love to recommend them to you as my contribution. And that, you know, so yeah, it worked really well. We got lots of, um, we were overwhelmed with the, the support and all the offers we've got. So yeah, it was, it was great. So the Kickstarter was very, very successful. Your your goal initially was a thousand pounds, which for our American listeners is around seventeen hundred dollars. But you actually got four thousand six hundred and forty nine pounds, which is almost seventy eight hundred dollars. How quickly did you advance past that initial goal of a thousand pounds? And then how quickly did you advance through all of these stretch goals that you have? We advanced to a thousand pounds in about two and a half days after launching which i was not expecting at all and you said you didn't really tell many people about it either no we um we were actually um the the main reason that we um okay firstly myself and my friends we're quite used to making films on a shoestring budget if anything right like i said i pulled in lots of favors um i was fortunate enough through um to my friend's own HD cameras, sound equipment, and some lights. So we actually, you know, we did have enough equipment just, you know, only the bare, bare minimum. When it came to the idea of doing a Kickstarter, it was the first time I'd sort of done a Kickstarter like that. And I was a bit, oh, I don't know. Um, is, is it is it going to work? I, I don't know. And I went on Kickstarter to see what else was about there. And of course, um, one of the first things I saw was um, Prelude to Axonar. Right. Uh, of course, I saw that and was just like, oh my God, do I stand a chance? 
um <laughs> you know these these you know then i sort of just had to tell myself no they're in a completely uh different league um, yeah well where- alec has richard hatch and tony yeah. todd and all and, these guys on there yeah and yeah we were like and uh, my uh, friend um and co-producer thomas avil who i was doing the kickstarter with we both sort of watched the axnar video and uh, my tom's a massive Battlestar uh galactica fan and he was just like oh my god you know this is this is crazy you know and then um yeah. so we sort of said okay well let's um set it, set our standards low let's only ask for a grand because realistically we could make the film for that it's it'll be hard um but yeah you know that's not a it's not a cheeky amount to ask for it's you know it's something small we are the with a with a little group from the little country we just want to make our little film so that the grand is we're doing that's that's okay to ask for and then yeah after two and a half days when we realized we got it we were like okay um maybe we're not as um we're not as mediocre as we perhaps thought you know um so that's when we sat down we re-evaluated and we we edited the scripts a little bit and we're kind of like, okay you know let's set ourselves a new goal so we then said okay let's go up to free grand so let's see what happens there and we set aside the stretch goals we specified exactly what we would spend the extra money on and yeah it sort of started to steadily the money started steadily to keep coming in and then with about a um a week for the end of the campaign we were we were just under three grand one evening i got a um a message from alec peters of axonar basically saying i've seen your project uh like what i see would love to chat and again, because I was like, oh my God, you know, because I knew too well what Axnar was about and had put money in myself. Um, I'm a backer of it myself. Yeah. And um, so I arranged to have a, a Skype chat with Alec Peters and amazing guy straight away said, yeah, I, I really like. Yeah, Alec is a really great guy. He is a nice guy. And he um, publicized, uh, he basically, all he did was put a link to our Facebook page on his Facebook page for Axnar. And Again, with um within seconds of him doing that, we um like almost doubled the amount of likes we had on our Facebook wow. page. Um yeah. it was ridiculous. And then, yeah, within that last week we just shot way over four grand. And yeah, and it was it it was amazing, I have to say. And you know, I still to this day will keep thanking Alec and Axnar for his support. But everyone on Kickstarter who pledged, you know, I love you all. It's just been such a a great experience um as well because of um being in the uk and the, a lot of our backers have been in the us and the time difference i remember quite often i would be i'd go to bed wake up in the morning and have sort of loads of emails of notifying me of new backers and it was kind of like christmas every morning for that yeah month of just saying oh more more backers and and stuff and i think it was actually um on our um, first night of our Kickstarter, someone pledged five hundred pounds, and that's when we're like, wow. "That's half our, that's half of our goal straight away." Yeah, and we, it was, awesome. it was great. I have to say, it's been a, a very good experience. That's wonderful. Star Trek fans really have turned out on Kickstarter to support these projects, and that's also wonderful to hear. Alec helped you out in that way and getting some exposure as well because i mean exposure is the key to everything right yes it is um that's what yeah that's why i'm quite happy that um that you've spotted us as well and i've wanted to uh to have a chat you know it's um 
exposure is definitely the key. And um, I think um, going back to Axanar and what Alec did for us, it kind of, that just showed perfectly to me. If you've got supporters and it's a, it's a great film. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is really exciting. You guys brought in almost five times what you were looking for yeah. initially. So you're going to be able to do amazing things. I cannot wait to see the models that you do. I can't wait to see the, the uniforms in live action as well and what you're doing here. If people want to keep tabs on the project and also if people want to help, the Kickstarter is over, so you can't go to Kickstarter and donate now. But if people do want to throw some support your way, where is the best place for them to go and how can they do that? I think the best thing is to um, to go on Facebook and go to our Facebook page. That has probably got to be the most active way we've got of keeping everyone updated. Just have to type in Star Trek Ambush on the search tab and we you know we come up quite quickly. On the Facebook page, we've got um, photo albums of our production shoots. Um, we've got um, some videos there. We've got yes, where we sort of do keep tabs. We do also have a um, a Twitter account. Again, to search for Star Trek Ambush on Twitter. That's probably the best way to um to come out. As you said, yeah, the Kickstarter is over. We are hoping that we've got enough on the Kickstarter. Um, we did quite strategically plan our budget, so we are hoping that we've got all our co- our costs covered. But of course, I've got plenty more ideas. So. If people love Ambush and then are interested in the next project, because I'm sure if Ambush goes well, which I'm hoping it will, there will be another project. And again, that's the best way to to keep up to date with what we're up to and what we're planning. Excellent. And that won't be Star Trek Ambush to Electric Boogaloo, will it? Um, no, I, I do have um, <laughs> I do have some more I do have some more Star Trek ideas, but um, not all of not, not all of them is a, a direct sequel. Very good. Well, and what if people want to find you personally, Greg? Are you on Twitter or anywhere? Yes, um, I am on Twitter. Uh, gr lock, uh, gr dash lock is my um, my Twitter name. Again, if you look up ambush on Twitter, it's a lot easier. Uh, you'll more than likely see me on one of the tweets. I am, um, I am there. Okay. Again, on um, the Facebook page, um, I'm one of the free admins on the page. I do do a lot of posting on there, so you can easily find me. Um, that way as well. Very good. All right. Well, thanks for sharing the behind-the-scenes story of the project with me today, Greg. No, thank, thank you. Uh, it's been uh, it's been great being here. Well, there we go. Another film that's actually drawing upon elements from Enterprise and connecting them to the rest of the Star Trek timeline. I really love seeing that. I'm glad that Enterprise is finally getting its due and and finally being a little more accepted by Star Trek fans. Ambush sounds really fascinating, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And we go to the theater. I still remember this, even though I was only four. I still remember this. We go to the theater and we're watching it. And then that Klingon dog shows up on screen. And I'm like, (laughs) what the frack is that? Get me out of here right now. Earl Grey. He would have excellent bedside manner. Here is a joke I know. Uh, uh. Would you like a Sumerian sunset? It is pretty. It will lift you from your terminal case of Uh, gout. Uh. 
The Ready Room. I think that she is picturing him in the on natural division of <laughs> synchronized swimming. <laughs> Captain Fine. Which is not an Olympic sport, but they are considering it, it as a demonstration <laughs> sport for the Rio de Janeiro games coming up. The Orb. Is it this thing like where women like bad boys or something? Does Dakot have a Harley that I don't know about? Uh, I think he must. Um, <laughs> and, I don't know. You know, he rides around on a Harley. Uh, he's he, uh, just breaking hearts all over the place. To the journey! He says, yeah, they want me to read. They're saying it's mine if I want it, but I don't want to do it. And she, like, jumps out of her chair and, like, shakes him. She's like, what? Are you kidding? This is Star Trek. Are you kidding? You would be made for life. Commentary, Trek stars. I thought you were going to do a Brandon Braga voice. <laughs> it's uh, it's really hard to do a Brandon Braga voice. That's, that's pretty good. It's got to be, uh, you know, it's got to be kind of quiet. Literary Treks. Again, it was originally published as a scroll form and then later as a codex book, and now both in print and electronic form in the 24th century. And this particular edition of it has an introduction and afterward and modern commentary by a 24th century Klingon novelist named Karatak. Continuing mission. Goal was to try to get as much Trek content into people's hands and to let people explore the Trek universe with their own spaceship and build their own crew in the way they want, customize and design, and just, you know, to be in your own Star Trek world. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can get them pretty much anywhere you get your podcast. We're all over the place now. So whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, Spreaker, BlackBerry, Swell, SoundCloud, and elsewhere. We're all over the place. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you'd like to listen to, and you will find us there. You can also stream from our website, and you can grab the RSS feed there and drop that into your favorite podcatcher. If you're an iTunes user, you can easily find our entire family of shows in one place by visiting our artist page. We have nearly a thousand episodes here on the network now, and this is a great way for you to find older content. The quickest way to get there is to simply go to itunes.com slash trekfm, type that into your browser, and it will open it right up in your iTunes application. Another great way to sample all the shows that you just heard clips from is to subscribe to the Trek FM Complete Master Feed. That feed has every episode of every show we do in one place, Really great way to sample, and also if you listen to all of our shows, it's a great way for you to just go right to the next one without having to juggle multiple feeds. And if you enjoy our shows, we would love for you to take a moment and leave us a star rating and a written review. It's great to hear from you, and your reviews and ratings also help other Star Trek fans find the shows as they're searching in the iTunes store. You can also leave reviews on Stitcher now. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's show, on Ambush, or anything else, if there's anything that you'd like me to cover here on Continuing Mission, maybe a fan series, whether it's video, audio, a game, whatever, that you know of that maybe I haven't heard of, drop me a line and let me know, and I'll get in touch with those people. You can contact us in a variety of ways. You can go to our website at trek.afilm contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Continuing Mission and that will come to me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. 
We have a community on Google+. If you search G Plus Communities for Trek.fm, you will find it. And we also have forums on our website at trek.fm slash forums. You can even send us a voicemail through the website as well. And if you'd like to find me personally, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me on a lot of other shows on the network as well. There's Literary Treks, which I do with Matthew Rushing, where we talk Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together, which is all about Deep Space Nine. And I do Warp 5 with different guests every week. That's about Enterprise. Matterstream I do from time to time about social issues and science and creativity. Not necessarily about Star Trek, but about the world inspired by Star Trek. There's Hyper Channel, where I spend about 15 minutes with you each day, sharing thoughts on some of the news stories in the world of Star Trek. And there's The Ready Room, which is our big discussion show, which I host with other hosts from all around the network. And every week, we talk about Star Trek news and all five live-action Star Trek series. Before I let you go, I would also like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They are the best source for audiobooks you'll find anywhere online, with more than 150,000 titles waiting for you right now. Just a quick download away from your iOS device, from your Android device, from your desktop, wherever it is you want to listen to those. Very easy to get your audiobooks. And as a Treka Film listener, we have a special offer for you. You can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. All you need to do is go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. Try out Audible for a month. Get your free audiobook. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that book. But when you try Audible, you're really helping us out greatly here at Trek FM and Continuing Mission. Because if just one person tries out Audible, the money we get from that almost covers the cost of hosting Continuing Mission for an entire month. So you're really helping us keep this show coming to you just for trying Audible, and you're getting great audiobooks in exchange. And every month when you stick with Audible, and I know you're going to want to, you get great prices, great selection. It's a, it's the best way to read all those books that you, you've always wanted to read, but you never thought you'd have time for. And that completely applies to me, which is why I've been getting my books from Audible for 14 years now. So go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm, sign up, try it out, and we really thank Audible for their support of Continuing Mission and the network. Well, thanks for listening today, everyone. And a huge thanks to Greg for giving me some of his time to find out more about Ambush. I'm looking forward to seeing the final product, and I hope you all enjoyed learning more about it as well. I hope you'll join me once again next time on this Continuing Mission as we see what's out there. <laughs>